Good morning and welcome to 3CR Gardening Program. I'm Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants and I'm going to be sort of operating the panel this morning. Um, and we have in the studio a couple of guests as we always do. Uh, we have Craig Wilson from Gentiana Nursery. How are you this morning? Yeah, Craig? very well, thank you Stephen. Awesome. Autumn again. It's oh, yeah. the most beautiful season. It's coming up that way, particularly in the hills, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. yeah. Yes. And we have Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill, the famous garden up in the Daniels. Actually, you two are almost next to each other. <laughs> Walking yeah, distance. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we've got a little um, Dandenong enclave going on here this morning. And I'm assuming Cloud Hill is starting to put on its autumn show? Yeah. It's, uh, um, um, the Sangukakus, the Japanese uh, red stem maple, mm. uh, that, that's been putting on a little bit of colour for quite a while now. Yeah. And, uh, I guess autumn is really next month rather than this month, mm. but um, it's um, no, it's it's autumn. Yeah. So yeah, I noticed at our place, um, my harbinger of autumn. I don't know what you guys are like, but my harbinger of autumn is in fact the Virginia creeper. Okay. It seems to almost always be the first thing to turn in my garden, and it's basically bright red already. Yeah. So it'll be it'll be shedding any minute now. Really, that so, that's, yeah. that's early. Yeah. So it is very very red, and of course yeah. the autumn bulbs are coming up. Yeah, cyclamen hedrophyllum. Oh yeah. yes. Acres of it. Acres of it, yeah, that's right. Yes. In fact, no matter how small your garden is, you should have at least three acres of cyclamen. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. you probably can, Jeremy. <laughs> You've got enough space where you probably could get away with three acres of cyclamen. Well, um, we did have a really nice colony of it, except the live birds moved in. and. Uh, <laughs> that's so, so we don't have quite as much as we did have uh, back a few weeks ago. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that I have to say. I don't have a problem with it, Matthew, because we don't get lyre birds. So. Oh. Sort of sadly in a way. Oh. There's never been any proof that lyrebirds have actually ever been native to the Macedon Ranges. Wow. Which is okay. interesting. You have fern gullies, I don't Yeah, 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 we have all the right habitat. Yeah. But, I'm um, astonished. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's been, occasionally there's been talk about we should introduce, but then if we're not sure that they were ever there, is there any real point? You know, yeah. so I don't know. Um, I'd like the idea of being able to hear them, but I don't think I want them turning over my garden <laughs> either. I, yeah. have to say. So, well, uh, I had an acre of cyclamen hedrifolium at Long Acres, mm. and um, the deer like it. Uh-oh. <laughs> So that's the end of it. Yeah. yeah. That's another issue in the hills, and we are getting deer up our way as well. Oh, so. Yeah, you want to get the shooters out early. Yeah, well, mm. I don't know what the um, state is doing about it, but uh, we know we've got a fair few wild deer up on Mount Macedon mm. now, so I right. guess it's only a matter of time before they move around and start causing some serious damage in some of the gardens. There's a there? couple of young stags just living across the road from me now, which yeah. is you know a sign that they're re-establishing a territory there. Oh, dear. Yep. Yes, they'll be in rubbing their horns against your trees any minute yep. now. And they'll be into the nature strip and, yeah. Oh, dear. Um, all right. Now, we should move into the program proper. Uh, so let's give the phone numbers out so people can get in touch with us and have a chat to us this morning. Um, if people want to ring in to talk to uh, Craig, Jeremy and I... The um, on-air number is 94190155. And if you want to talk to somebody off-air, you know, some little private horticultural conversation you feel the need to have, uh, it's 94198377. So they're the phone numbers if people want to ring in, so you'll be more than welcome to do so at any time from now on in. 
And I've got a couple of announcements that I should make. Um, I guess the first one, what do I do with my phone? It's on my phone. Let's give us a second. Uh, here we go. Um, the um, Open Gardens Victoria uh, are working away, beavering away, trying to keep their organisation going. And they've got an opening coming up um, uh, in Tavistock Road, um, Monbolt, the Nook, which I haven't been to. Uh, have either of you gentlemen been to the north? Yes, yes. yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's a cottage garden, isn't it? Um, yes, a, a tiny garden, but but um, but uh, just extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, every few inches, there's something else. Oh well, that sounds fantastic. Now the garden, uh, the uh, Open Gardens Victoria, have got one free pass for two people going. Uh, so somebody wants the pass, and Virginia didn't put what date in. In fact, this is open, but I'm assuming it's next weekend. Um, uh, if somebody wants that pass, if they ring the off-air number, which is 94198377, uh, and it's first in best dress for a double pass, uh, I have to say these garden openings now are by ticket only at this stage, so that keeps the numbers in line and people know where everybody's come from so they're doing all the right COVID things um, but if somebody would like to get that um, double pass for um, the Nook, please ring the off-air number 94198377 and the first person in who would like to go for a nice trip up to the Daninongs uh, will get that double pass, so that should be good and yes, it's good to see that the um, Open Gardens Victoria are working their way through all of this and starting to have some functions and things going on again. Really good. Yeah, it yeah. is. I've missed all that stuff. It's been really sad. Um, on a completely different note, well, no, still horticultural, um, I bought in a rather blousy begonia. You certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> and this one isn't probably the blousiest one I could have bought in, but anyhow... Um, we all know Peter and um, Jess at uh, White House Nursery. Well, they've got a begonia show on, uh, and they're calling themselves the Tuberous Begonia Garden. I went over the other day to have a look, um, and Peter has raised some amazing tuberous begonias. They're all seedlings. He's breeding them, is he? Yeah, well... He's raising seedlings. I'm not sure whether he's particularly going for any sort of breeding line or anything, mm -hmm. but he's using good parent stock and yep. there's singles and doubles and cascades and um, you name it. It's, um, it's pretty well, I would say, as good as going to Ballarat. And I might add that's probably on at the moment and you could go up and look at the begonias up there as well. Yep. Um, but if you wanted to go for a lovely day trip, uh, they're opening every weekend, 10 to 4 till the 30th of May. And you can go up and view the begonias. Uh, they have begonias for sale, and because they're all seedling ones, they've got this bit of a thing going where you can name your own begonia. <laughs> so you can get a certificate and you can fill out your own name, or in fact the person's name that you want to give the begonia to, <laughs> and they have their own unique begonia. Yeah. Uh, so they've got this little thing going, and I think it's rather fun. Um, of course, if you wanted to go to the extent of actually registering the begonia, well, that might be another kettle of fish. Where, ex where exactly are they? Well, there? they're in Ashbourne, so if you're coming up the Calder um, Freeway, heading towards Bendigo, you'll get to Wood End, and when you hit the traffic lights at the beginning of Wood End, uh, from the Melbourne side, Ashbourne Road runs into your left. So you turn into Ashbourne Road, and it's 616. Uh, no, it's not. Oops, sorry. It is... Where is it? It is... Ah, 691, sorry. 691 Ashbourne Road. It's on the left-hand side, almost into the town of Ashbourne. So if you want to go out and have a look at some seriously good tuberous begonias, uh -huh. I mean, they don't do subtle, 
the cartoons. <laughs> in fact, they, they do honest vulgarity, I think, is possibly where you put them. Um, that's a beautiful colour. Oh, well, this orange one I bought in was rather lovely. Peter yeah. gave that to me. So I think that's now Begonia Stephen Ryan. Right. <laughs> uh, although I'm not sure that I um, should be going in that direction. Um, so... That's my announcements for this morning. Has anything happening up in the hills that people should know about? Well, there's the Fernie Creek plant sale. Oh, yes, of course. Which, which is fantastic, yeah. 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 So that's today, last yep. day. Yep. Um, and it's at Hilton Road, Fernie Creek. That's right. Uh, and it's their plant sale up there, so the, the garden will be looking lovely. The garden's looking lovely. Yeah. Yep. So that, that will be fantastic. And there's a whole range of plant stalls there for people to Lots of plants. good vendors, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you could have a really good day out. Absolutely, and it's a friendly Organ, you know, thing. It's yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's ten to four, isn't it today? I think. Mm. I, uh, yeah, something yeah. of that. Yeah. Sort. So that'll be safe. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I guess if you arrive between ten and four, you yeah. should be fine. Yeah. And I was talking to Virginia on the phone last night, and apparently there was a very good crowd of people there yesterday. Yes, so it's busy. Very busy. So yeah. that's really, really good. It is. So yeah. One likes to see that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, we might start talking about a few plants because I know both of you bought things in we can talk about. Yep. Um, why don't we start with you? You seem to have some plants in your hand, Craig. I do. Yeah. Look, I just started off with a couple of cyclamen. Um, Purpurescens is still flowering, yep. which is an amazing one. It's almost evergreen. Um, flowers for a long time. Starts early to midsummer. It's sort of the link one, isn't it? It's from the link the, one, exactly. Yeah, from the spring species right through to the autumn That's species. That's right, yeah. Mm. And, 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 of course, they're all in full swing now, mm. the autumn ones. And, and hedrofolium, you know, it loves root competition. Mm. The more condensed and, and packed in it is, the better. And I've got it planted in my planter box in amongst buxus roots. Yeah. And it's thriving. Yeah. Now, with purpurescens, though, you would have to give people a little bit of a warning, wouldn't you, because it's not quite as easy to keep as some of the others. No, the tubers need to be put down deeply yep. so that they have a consistent soil temperature. Mm-hmm. And, and because it's summer growing, you don't want it to dry right that's out. That's right, and deciduous shade, I think, is mm-hmm. probably the best yeah. spot for it. And, of course, what you haven't mentioned is the perfume. Yes, I haven't mentioned the perfume. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which it has. That's why I suggested we mention the perfume. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'd never really get down and give it a sniff. But yeah, <laughs> it has got a wonderful scent. Yeah. Um, but I, have you got purpurescence for sale this year? Yeah, but they're, they're not, they'd be four years from seed, so, yeah. Yeah, so a little, not, not little way off flowering yeah. yet. Yeah. yeah, it is one of those I find that you, I don't get vast quantities of seed. It takes a while to get them up to even vaguely right. flowering yeah. size. Um, it's a lot of work, yeah. uh, and so whatever you're charging for them, you're probably not charging enough. That's probably right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, but it is a beautiful cyclical. It is, it is. And, and, you know, when you do raise them from seed, there's always a temptation to plant them out so that you can have your own little drift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. feel that way most So how deep so. do you think, Craig? <laughs> Now, Craig's holding up his fingers. <laughs> I would have thought... Uh, it's about four fingers deep. Yeah, yeah. But I do that with a lot of them. You know, people have this thing that cyclamen like to sit on the surface, and I think they tolerate sitting on the yeah. surface, but they really like to get down a bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm convinced of that as well. I yeah. don't think there's any of them. I mean, some of them end up working their way to the That's surface. That's right. Uh, but then it's and better then suddenly to, they're there. Um, what I find with the hydrofoliums that are sitting on the surface is that they don't, each individual corm doesn't spread its foliage and flowers out. Mm-hmm. If you if you bury them, then they'll spread out quite a long way. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, I find with certain species, particularly graecum, that I need to get that quite deep into Absolutely. the ground. It doesn't yeah. seem to like to be close to the surface That's at all. Right. And it's the only one that I will plant right out in full sun. Yeah. Uh, and and persicum. Be, yeah, oh, persicum, yeah, but I can't yeah. put that right out in the open because it's a bit frost tender yeah. where we are. Yeah. So, so there are one or two species that are slightly cold sensitive. And, of course, persicum is the one that they... They kept selecting and selecting and selecting until they created the great big Mother's Day. Yeah, the tuberous begonia of, of cyclamen. Yeah, 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 they are. I mean, it's, it's, it's all the one species, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's never it's been crossed with anything yeah, else to create them. Yeah. Yeah, the thing that makes me laugh nowadays, though, is, I mean, they bred them up till you ended up with these huge, big, frilly, monstrous things. That's right. Uh, and that seemed to be where they were heading. Now they're breeding them back down to miniature forms. Yeah. Mm. The species is beautiful. Oh, I love the species. And yeah. it's also scented. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And elegant. Yeah. yeah. And, and basically, I would class it as a species spring flowering species. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they are. They're a wonderful group of plants. Yeah. And you can become, as most of us already probably are, obsessed by cyclamen. And, and it's an easy genus to collect because there's not a vast number of them. Yeah. You could be holding the national collection. I probably could be. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Just think about it. Um, we, we need some more national collection holders out there. Just you know, running my flag up the post again <laughs> uh, for Plant Trust. So um, it would be lovely if we had some more collections out there. So you've probably got most species, except I bet you haven't got Somaliensis. I haven't got Somaliensis. Nobody else I has. Can't, <laughs> I can't grow Rolfsianum. Now, that's interesting because I've got Rolfsianum in my garden at Macedon, yeah. and it is one of the more tricky cyclamen, I suppose. But mine's in a raised rock garden yeah. uh, with a gravel covering over the top of it, yeah. and I flowered it before Otto. Goodness, I, I suspect you're a little bit drier than me. Yeah, that's probably where it is. Yeah. It, it does like to be dry. I remember Lydia Bartlett, who is now in the Cyclamen heaven, uh, always saying that she kept her Rolfsianums in big pots, yeah. and as soon as they died down, they went under a bench on the veranda, yep. and they were kept dead dry yep. until uh, the time... Until they start to... showing themselves. Yeah. yeah. And I did exactly the same, but, you know, a couple of years ago, they, I had big old tubers, mm. and they all died yeah. for yeah. whatever reason. That, that does raise the issue, of course, that most of them are fairly easy to grow. That's right. But for a collector, it's nice to have a challenge as well sometimes. Yes. So, yes, so you do want to be challenged occasionally. I think the challenge will be trying to extract seed from Somaliensis from the Cyclamen Society. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, uh, Somaliensis from the photos I've seen sort of looks vaguely persicum Yes, yeah, anyway. yeah, it doesn't look very exciting. No. But the name is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of that weird outrider in a genus that sort of closely aligned to the Mediterranean mm. So, so where, where does that one come from? From Stephen? Somalia. Yeah. It was found in the wild by, I think, a Swedish botanist who was doing some faffing around in the mountains of Somalia. Yeah. And initially they thought it might have been a, uh, some persicum that had um, somehow or another escaped cultivation or something, but it was so far out in the middle of nowhere they couldn't work out how that would happen. And so, yeah, in the end, once the genes were dealt with in the chromosomes and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it was obviously a new species. A new species, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's as rare as hen's teeth at the moment. Yeah, yes. Finding new species is very exciting. That's and, right. You know, one of these days I'd like to find my own species of something. You know, I could see something being something or another, Ryanii. Um, yeah, yes. That would be exciting. All right, well, we better get on to some other sort of plant now, I guess. Uh, what else have you got there, Craig? Um, look, I brought in my collection of dwarf pines ah. because I'm really sad that conifers are sort of become extremely unfashionable. 
yeah, and unpopular. Yeah. And I think it's because of white pebbles and thuyas. Well, it probably is. That there were some fairly uninspiring conifers being pushed out there. That's right. Ago. Then there was that dreadful juniper spartum. Oh, which, God. Yeah. And yeah. I, I remember the Camisipras Boulevard as yeah. well. That was yeah. another one because it grew into decrepit old age. That's right. <laughs> yeah. so, so they were really old. Yeah, and the and oh, Yeah, oh, that's, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting actually yeah. because uh, in the hills we're surrounded by growing nurseries and uh, there were two or three specialist kind of for nurseries when we started in the 1990s. Yeah. And, um, um, well, and there's one famous one that um, was... Um, uh, well, a family name and then confers, and now it's just the family name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll leave that one dangling, I think. Yeah, and then Conifer Gardens is the only nursery that specialises in them now. Yeah. And um, they do a pretty good job. They do, they do. Yeah, they but do they, they're well. covering everything else as yeah. well, not, yeah. not just conifers, of course. Yeah, so it's worth a trip anyway to have a look at what they're oh, selling. It's a beautiful nursery. Yeah, really yeah, good. Yeah. But far fewer weeds than mine has. Yeah, uh, not they're wrong. very tidy yeah. nursery. It's amazing. But look, yeah. I think weeds, weeds and chemicals go together. Yeah. Uh, or the lack of weeds and chemicals. And yeah. that's why I won't use them. I mean, I'd rather have skinks, quite frankly. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. inclined to say, oh, isn't that flickweed looking nice now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. So, dwarf, dwarf pines. pines. Look, that... The first group that I like are the strobus, which is the American um, eastern white yeah. pine, sort of starts on the east coast of America and goes right through to um, the Great Lakes. Oh, yes. Um, iconic species in the United States. Very few old growth ones left now. Mm-hmm. But in amongst them is a lot of dwarfs, and yeah. in fact a lot of variations. There's, there's fastigiate and there's weeping. And oh yes, the weeping ones can be quite dramatic. Very dramatic. I've got quite a big weeping one in my garden. Yeah. I'm very fond of it. Yeah. yeah. Yes, they're, they're beautiful things, and the strobus types tend to have mainly sort of slightly silvery needles. Don't and they? soft. Yeah. Very yeah. soft yeah, so and feathery. they're not hard and prickly or anything. Not at all. Not at all. Um, and the two I bought in is, is Merrimac. Yeah. Now, now, when you buy dwarf conifers, it's always better to get grafted ones, mm-hmm. and you'll look at the label and they'll tell you the height and spread in 10 years. Which is actually not a bad thing, as long as you realise it is a 10-year span. And that they're just really jumping into their stride in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I have this attitude with dwarf conifers. Uh, a lot of them aren't that dwarf when they get ancient, um, but you can get 20, 30 years of That's pleasure right. out of them. And, and they are dwarf up against yeah. the species. Yeah, well, they're, they're, they're really just the juvenile forms, aren't they? And, 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 yeah. yeah, so they're, they're the tree as they first uh, start growing, and, and uh, eventually they will turn into the adults. They can, yes. Yeah, yeah. Can well, uh, yeah. yeah there's, there's a Merrimack at, at um, Peter Teese's nursery, yeah. um, which I cleaned up a couple of years ago. It was in a shocking state. Mm. Got all the dead needles and dead wood out of it. And it would be about three metres. Yeah. And, and 40, that would be 40, It's probably the original one that came into the country. Yeah. Is, um, Arnold probably bought it in. Yeah, undoubtedly. Yeah, mm. and it, it, it's a magnificent plant. Mm. And um, what you will find with a lot of these dwarf pines is that they are capable of shooting back on bare wood, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily the case with the big ones. No. So that they can be pruned. Mm. Well, that's something I wasn't aware of. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so they're lovely. So what's the other and one? And the right? other one is sea urchin, which I think is superior. Yeah. It's, it's also a strobus, very tight, much smaller, uh, much shorter needles, same colour. Same habit, dense, bushy habit. Now, tell me, though, 
one of the things I love about some of the dwarf pines, and it doesn't happen with all of them, is that some of them do in fact produce cones. Do either of these ones, to your I knowledge... I haven't produce? seen cones on Strobus. Yeah. yeah. Yes, so, uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's always a lovely added thing if you've got a dwarf conifer that throws cones because it's a really ornamental feature. Yep. I've got a, oh, God, what's the species? I'm trying to think. Pinus, it's Rigby's weeper, monophylla, I think, is it? Or I don't know that one. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's one of the weeping silver pines that looks yeah. very similar to a strobus. Yeah. And I grew mine up to about three metres on yep. a stake. Yeah. And it's now cascading down. And it's got two huge pine cones on it at the moment. Fantastic. And, and they exude resin. So you've okay. got these, these sort of... <laughs> they're dripping. Ju- dr- yeah, dew drops of resin sort of hanging off the <laughs> yeah. cones. And they're just exquisite. Yeah. We, we have Pinostrobus pendula. Yeah. Would yeah. you class that as a dwarf? No. Well, no, it's not a dwarf per se, but it does need some help to run it up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you get it up. No, the ours is up about four metres, and yeah. it's actually really, really strong. The trunk is about 30 centimetres in diameter, I'd so, say. So that would be an original Woolrich planting, would it? No, 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 no it's something put we put in, in yeah, right. yeah. No, it's a, we've been shaping it, and, yeah. it, and it's quite dramatic, yeah. and you certainly... But this one does produce cones. I mean, the... Strobus is a timber tree, is yes, my understanding, right. oh, yes. and, 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 and and one of the more important timber trees yeah. in the United States. That's why there's no old growth ones left. Yeah, yeah. Yes, <laughs> and, and uh, certainly this thing looks as though it wants to be a timber tree, except that it can't support itself as it goes yeah. up, yeah. or rather it goes up a little bit and then falls back down again. And so yeah. it, the effect is absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. But but it's a it's a plant up around about three four meters high and about four or five meters across. Yeah. 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 Yeah, not for your Fitzroy Terrace garden. Yeah, no. and lots of cones. Yeah. Right, sea rather, and very resinous, as you say, yeah. Stephen. Sea urchin would definitely be for a Fitzroy Terrace garden. Yeah. All right. Um, I need to uh, butt in for a minute. Uh, the tickets from um, the op- uh, for Open Garden for Victoria, the uh, they're gone. So Good. no point in anybody else ringing in to see if they can get the tickets. They have been swept up by somebody, so yep. I hope they enjoy their day up at the Nook. Just come along to the Nook and enjoy it and pay as you go in. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, she does a great job, Val. Mm. Yeah. All right. Now, um, Jeremy, you brought some plants along. Oh, before you show any of your plants, I think I'd better mention the uh, phone-in line again. We haven't had anybody ring in yet. Um and we'd love to hear from you. So it's 94190155. So that's 94190155. Uh, I hope you're all awake. I hope you're listening. I hope you realise we're live again because, you know, we've spent a whole 12 months just running through our old podcasts. <laughs> so we are live to air. We would love to hear from you. So please ring us and uh, have a chat to us. Uh, and can I throw out a challenge to you all? Uh, radio talkback can, in fact, be prob- problem-driven, which is fair enough. You ring in, you've got an issue in your garden, you want an answer for it, that's fine. I wouldn't mind some people ringing in and giving us some of their um, triumphs. Yeah, um, that would be great. You know, instead of just, you know, I've got a problem with my lemon tree or whatever else. You know, Jeremy's gone into the pampas over here. He's <laughs> grass around him uh, everywhere. Um, so ring in, please, 94190155. So that's 94190155. And Jeremy quite literally has come in uh, with grass. Yes, uh, nothing but grass. grass, Partly because uh, that's what we've been doing over the summer, Mm. um, taking advantage of this rather strange uh, 12-month period to rip apart sections of the garden. 
I mean, lost the magnolia just near the restaurant, and uh, that was throwing a lot more sun into one section of the garden, and so nothing made much sense. In fact, the only reason for leaving it as it was was because some poet's daffodils were coming through, yeah. and uh, those were plants that uh, Jim Woolrich uh, had they'd planted most probably back in the 1930s, and oh, they'd become extremely congested, and they'd stopped flowering. So time to pull that section of the garden apart, we destroyed it mm-hmm. and put in grasses, partly because it's, the, the grasses was pretty well where I started back in, well, I shudder to think, actually. Yeah, way back then. Yeah, 1970s, uh, dare I say. Would have been a different suite of grasses then. Yeah, uh, well, Roger Grounds, uh, one, of, one of the first specialist books on grasses was published in the mid-70s, and I came across that remainder in some bookshop in Perth. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> nobody in Perth in their right mind would be looking to grow ornamental grass. No, well, at that stage, well, no one had been thinking about grasses in, in 50, 60 years. Um, and um, so this was the first hint of, of um, things to come. Um, and I, I, I read this, and, and, and then for the next several years, I was driving around looking at road verges because there were some rather interesting grasses coming up on West Australian road verges. I would imagine. Um, they all turned out to be... Well, largely turned out to be South Africans, of course, uh, from, <laughs> from the early days. People uh, bringing livestock into the colony and, and uh, needing hay at the Cape of Good Hope and somehow the hay, the, the, the grass seed, somehow made it to Western Australia. And so, oh, the, so the, the, gradually I realised that virtually all the grasses on road verges were weeds, but amongst them were some rather handsome weeds. Mm. Um, including Penicetum, Cetaceum, yeah, uh, and it went on from there. In the 80s, we had the chance to travel to, uh, I and Valerie had the chance to travel to England and do a nursery crawl. Oh, fantastic. And um, went to Great Dixter, actually. Ah, uh, yes, and, my favourite place. And, and uh, Christopher Lloyd was kind enough to spend half a day uh, tracking down sources for grasses. Um, and um, we came back with boxes full of, well, lots of uh, herbaceous perennials, but also about 30 or so ornamental grasses, including um, we managed to get a contact for Ernst Pargels, which was very exciting, because hardly anyone knew who he was at that stage. Yeah. Well, probably most of our listeners still don't. Um, well, he, he most probably did more uh, to... Uh, developed miscanthus, for instance, than oh, yeah. anyone else. Yeah. And uh, so he was working, he was part of the German New Wave of the uh, 1970s, 1980s, and, uh-huh. uh, and uh, so virtually many of the uh, miscanthus varieties that you see today are his varieties from that yeah. time. So you uh, haven't uh, lost your... Well, um, well, they, they, uh, well, I came, well, I arrived in um, the Perth airport in 1988 with these, uh, well, I hadn't made arrangements beforehand, of course, but they went straight into quarantine. No one had ever seen anything like it in the Perth quarantine station before. <laughs> yeah, and there was a young, young guy who had just started who was so amazed that he actually went to a lot of trouble and virtually everything survived. It was amazing. But the grasses went off to Rydalmere in New South Wales and... They were gradually released over the next, um, well, it took about 12 years before they were all released, when some of them were not released, sadly. Mm. 
So we ended up with about 20 or so, and so that's where most of the ornamental grasses you see in nurseries today come from. They're so from I was going to say, mostly miscanthus? Um, well, several miscanthus. We, we managed to get um, silver feather in, um, graziella, uh, sarabande, um, uh, flamingo, one or two others. Um, anyway, they, they, I've got a little bundle of them here, all looking rather similar, actually. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, but, they don't but, show but, up well on radio either. <laughs> <laughs> but they, yeah, and I must say, I pulled them all into a pot and I thought, oh, crikey, they do look like something we should be bailing for hay. But uh, um, in pots, that's, that's the story. And that's one of the downsides that's to ornamental right. grasses because they don't necessarily present themselves terribly well in a pot. Well, yeah. And, yeah. And in fact, I've and, had and people ask me why I haven't weeded yet. Um, and, you, and you need a little bit of... Um, uh, understanding uh, to appreciate just what you're dealing with yeah. here, and because yeah. in a pot, well, you're absolutely right; they, they don't flower no. properly. Well, no. the miscanthus are pot bound in about three weeks. Yeah, well, exactly, yeah. the roots yeah. go mm. like that. Yeah. And yeah. I actually remember the very first landscape design conference that was held at the Dallas Brooks Hall way back. And with James Van Sweden. Yeah, James Van Sweden was out and he was showing all these pictures of their prairie style gardens they were doing. Yeah. And I remember having lunch out on the lawn uh, with my little box of sandwiches and things and listening to the ladies in the pearl sets and things like that sitting yeah. on the lawn going, my husband wouldn't let me plant that stuff and it'd be a fire hazard and there'd be snakes. And, <laughs> you know, nobody was... Nobody engaged with what Van Sweden was trying to tell us, so it was really right. interesting to listen to. Well, it's worked in the long haul. Yep, it has in the long haul, but yeah. it's taken a long time. It has. Yeah. One, of, one of his grasses is a slightly obscure one called Calamagrostis brachytrica, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's something I got hold of years ago. Uh, that, was, uh, that came in from seed, and, um, and that's just becoming available at the moment after years and years and years. Yeah, I've um, had it for years. It's a lovely thing, and it's, and, and it's one of the rare grasses that will grow in a bit of shade, and it, it uh, just forms a mound of green like many of them do, yeah. but it comes up with these soft pink, mauve pink flowers, um, fairly late in the season, fairly upright, and... Um, just a glorious thing and, and really good because it will grow in about um, half sun, well, flower and half sun, half shade. And the flowering certainly leaves Carl Forster in the dust, doesn't it? Well, <laughs> don't be too rude about Carl Forster because that was another of mine. <laughs> and uh, I'd also have Overdam here, which was, um, uh, in fact, that, that was a, a special treat when I was uh, chatting with Ernst Pargels way back in 1988 because uh, Overdam had just been selected at that point yep. and he was very excited about it. So I was one of the first people to get one <laughs> yeah. and that came through in that patch of grasses. Right. And uh, so that that's been kicking around now for well since uh, for the last fifteen years, um, and so that's that's now Carl Forster. We'll start off with this in order, but Carl Forster is actually a hybrid of two northern European species, which happens to be infertile, which is a, not a bad thing. Which for is a really useful thing. It's a very useful thing because yeah. grasses, most of them are fertile, and instantly you have to worry about seeding. Yeah. And the miscanthus are fertile, for instance. That's right. And so miscanthus in southern Victoria are fairly safe. I'm suspicious of anyone growing them in New South Wales. Northern New, Northern South, New, Wales, yeah, yeah. Northern New yeah. South Wales. Northern New South Wales. The... the, the, the uh, 
um, they're too adapted to that climate yeah. and they're likely to spread. Yeah. Now, the beauty of going back to Carl Magro- uh, to, to, uh, Magrostis, Carl uh, Forster, is that it's, it's sterile. Hence, it flowers that, that much better. Yeah, and they last quite a, well. Yeah, yeah, it forms a clump and, and it's a... And it's an absolute, um, it, it's one of the half dozen best, despite what you're saying, Craig. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the half dozen uh, most commonly sown grasses used in ornamental grass gardens. It was one of Christopher Lloyd's favourites. Yeah. He was an ornamental grass. Oh, he, always, he always made a big deal about um, Carl Forster as, as a, a garden grass. My, yeah. my feeling about Carl Forster is that it needs moisture to flower properly. Yeah, I find where I've got it in the garden at home, it's inclined to go a bit ratty That's fairly right. early in the season yeah. because it's not getting enough moisture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I could remedy that by giving it more, but I just never get round to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ovidam is a variegated form, a slightly yeah. more compact form of Carl Forster, yeah. Yeah. Uh, basically. Yeah. Now, we've had a phone call come in, uh, Jan from Eltham, but she doesn't want to talk on air, but she wants us to talk about, well, I'm assuming she's talking about the blood lilies. Uh, that are just, yeah, yeah. yeah, that are just coming up at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, Yes, I think she wants to know a little bit more about them potentially. So um, they're an easy bulb, yeah. are they not? <laughs> Put them in the garden and walk away. Yeah, yeah. the foliage can get somewhat ravaged by slugs and snails sometimes. Can, yeah. um, but really, the bulb itself is fairly hardy. It'll grow right. in sun or semi-shade. Um, it can make big clumps of bulbs, necks sticking up out of the ground. Yep. Um, and you end up with these massive red paintbrushy-like flowers on them, which yep. I think are quite spectacular, although all those bulbs that come up naked without foliage all, for me, have a slightly awkward look about and them. And leaf issues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when the leaves do come up, yeah. they can be big and they smother everything That's within right. cooey. Yeah. Um, and the leaves themselves on the hermanthus are quite spectacular if they're not slug ridden. It's really the main reason for growing them, I would have thought. Yeah, I think that's right. Two enormous leaves. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, the, the actual fact that you don't have flowers and leaves together, I find all those sort of naked um, type bulbs slightly awkward looking in the garden because yeah. you expect to see greenery with flowers and, and to find something you can grow with them that isn't going to be an issue for them because they like to have their own space. They like their space. Yeah, yeah. It, it's basically impossible. So you do have to leave a sort of a patch for them. Yeah. But they're lovely things. I really like yeah. them. Yeah, and Elvifloss, the white one, is mm. indestructible. Yeah, and it's very shade tolerant. Very shade. You can yeah. grow it with clivia yeah. and dry shade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and nice foliage. Good foliage. And yeah. the white flowers aren't perhaps as big and spectacular no, as the red not, ones. But, but foliage is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've got one bulb of humulus in the garden at home, which is one of the pink flowering ones, yeah. uh, and didn't flower this year, but it's flowered the last couple of years, and it's got enormous leaves, and they're okay. slightly bristly, right. which is really cute. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, yeah the, the genus is really interesting. You will pay a reasonable amount sometimes for bulbs because they're slow from beginning to flowering size. It would be, what, six, seven years from seed? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So they are a slow crop, uh, so don't be surprised if a commercial nurseryman seems to be charging a lot more than the average tulip. Um, but they're certainly worth it, and they're one of those bulbs that tend to find their way around anyway via yeah. home gardeners. That's right. You know, somebody has them, somebody else wants them, yeah. they share them with you, which is all what you know part of what gardening's all about, I guess. So... Um, yeah, so that's probably um, all we can say about Plant them. and forget. Yeah, it is a plant and forget thing. Yeah. Keep your fork away from them yeah. uh, and just leave them alone. 
but they are a lovely group of bulbs. And, yeah. uh, and I do love the autumnal flowering bulbs from the fact that they sort of herald the season in, first few cool nights and a little bit of rain and everything that flowers in the autumn suddenly up and doing its thing. Yeah. So really, really interesting plants. Uh, now, we can go back to one or two more of your grasses, I think, but I'll just remind our listeners that they could ring us both on air, uh, 94190155, or off air on 94198377. So do give us a ring. We don't want to be sitting here on our own. Um, Jeremy. Well, I, I suppose I'd, I'd be keen to just talk about the logic what, of, of, of the grass garden in general. We've, we've planted quite a substantial area with about 70% grasses, using about oh, 10 or 12 varieties, yeah. planting them in, in drifts. Um, two or three of them as canthus. Um, Which was and, canthus, Jeremy? Um, well, Graziella no. and um, actually a seedling of mine, which is rather intriguing. I'm, I'm, I'm watching this year by year and trying to figure it out, but it, it popped up right next uh, to uh, planting of Miscanthus nepalensis. Uh-huh. Now, Nepalensis, we've gradually lost it, which is really annoying because it, 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 was, it dominated um, part of the garden for um, several years, but gradually it disappeared, and I just couldn't keep it going. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Should you uh, admit it? <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's a wussy thing, and I've noticed that, uh, that if you, if you um, uh, do some research into Miscanthus Nepalensis from the Himalayas, um, uh, everyone's complaining about losing it. Likes uh, moisture. Yeah, well, and, yeah. and I think it, I, I most probably it was, it was tucked in amongst too many other, too much competition. Yeah. The beauty of Nepalensis, it had these uh, flowers, golden tassels, which, uh, which, um, slightly pendant, they yeah. hung, hung. Um, and they, they, they had a particularly long season of interest. They, they were good for about five or six months. That's right. Yeah. Um, now this this um, this miscanthus has popped up right next to where the nepalense used to be, and I suspect it might be a hybrid because mm. it, it it although it looks in many characteristics it looks more like a miscanthus sinensis. Um, it 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 has that same characteristic of nepalensis in that the flowers go on for much longer. So we 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 have one clump of it where we're watching for year after year and we pulled it all apart and we're using that to um, as a as a feature in this particular garden now the the the, the problem we've always had at cloud hill is we we when we were first um, um, designing it uh, literally with the excavating out of terrace we we had to figure out how to orientate the main terrace and um, we, we eventually decided I eventually decided to run it um, north and south. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, <laughs> now the, which means which means that as uh, walking into the um, borders, into our cool borders, and our, into our warm borders, that all that, that the um, each side of the um, double borders um, receives well. On one side receives morning light, and the other side receives afternoon light. Uh, Everything so faces into the middle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, which is fabulous. So uh, that, that's fine, except you never get low light. Yeah. It's always overhead light. Mm. Um, 
And now this new part of the garden is um, running off at 90 degrees. All oh, right. So it's catching the low light. So that's part of the, the afternoon light in this one. So in, in the case of this part of the garden, so that's part of the reason, part of the logic of using grasses mm. is they catch the light so well. Yeah. In this case, they're catching the afternoon light. Oh, that's good. So it's partly that. And the other thing is that this, many of the grasses are at their best in, say, February, March, April, May. Mm-hmm. And we always had a little bit of a hole in our, in our chevrol, mm-hmm. uh, March in particular. Just when everything, uh, all the other gardens were looking fabulous, we, we, our summer borders were just starting to open up yeah. and there was no autumn colour. Yeah. Know, a little bit, but not much. Yeah. So, so we're just filling that hole in as well. well. That's good. All right, we've got a call or two coming through, so we'd better actually start talking to people. Uh, all right. We have Fermi online. Are you there, Fermi? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Fermi. I've pressed the right <laughs> buttons. <laughs> uh, so how are you this morning? Uh, very well, thank you. That's good. had a great day at Fernie Creek yesterday. Yeah, so it was very but successful. I, I yeah, it was uh, very good, yeah. Um, I was ringing really because um, um, your previous call, off- offline caller, had uh, wanted you to talk about Hermanthus. Ah, yes, yes. And um, if you want to see Hermanthus, go up to Fernie Creek. Ah, because, yes. Because um, uh, people like Tonkins are selling um, uh, flowering-sized bulbs of the, the paintbrush lily, the mm-hmm. uh, coccinius. Yeah. And um, uh, Gary Reed, who, whose stall I was working on yesterday... The Father Christmas of Horticulture. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> whose motto is... Uh, uh, the, is the, Business is called Obscure Bulbs, and, and uh, his motto is, if you haven't heard of it, we grow it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds like a good motto to me. Yeah. So <laughs> when does it start? Uh, look, it's uh, 10 till uh, 4, mm-hmm. as uh, you thought about. Uh, the trick is today, usually you can go and park inside the grounds, mm-hmm. okay? But um, today, I think what they've decided is, They've got the Fernie Creek Reserve to open, so you can go and park on the Fernie Creek Reserve mm-hmm. and then walk up uh, through the gate into the, um, the gardens. Fine. Will it be reasonably right. well signposted, do you think, Fernie, it, so people it understand? It will be. There some big yellow signs saying plant sale here uh-huh. if you're coming up from Melbourne. I don't think from the Callista side it's as well signposted. Ah, so, so anybody coming most from people that people in the Dandenongs know about it, so... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so but if you're coming fine. up from Melbourne, there's some signs there. Mm-hmm. And um, the um, the other thing is that it's a great time of year to um, to get uh, dry bulbs to, for planting. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a the other Peter Lee. It's a Lee L E E Lee. Oh God, uh, how confusing! <laughs> <laughs> is uh, Peter and Linda? I think it is. Uh, they're selling uh, tulips. Um, uh, you can just bag them up yourself, and uh, they're incredibly cheap compared to uh, buying them through the uh, catalogs at the moment. Yeah. And he's got a really good selection, particularly if you like some of the more unusual ones, like the doubles and the fringe doubles, and uh, but then then the standard, um, you know, the black tulip and the and uh, some really good white ones as well. So mm-hmm. as well as uh, some great um, uh, little daffodils and. Um, it was, he said to me, oh, you know, here's one we haven't had for a while, and it was Jetfire. 
Oh, goodness, and I haven't I seen that round for ages, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. So, and I thought, oh, Jeff, I've had that. And I thought, had is the operative word. <laughs> I don't think I've ever... I've seen it flower in ages. So, yeah, well, there you go. But, yeah, so... It's a good you plant. And I haven't seen it... I don't think I've seen it in any of the catalogues this year, but... Uh, but Hancock's bulbs are there as well, so yep, if you good. want to get onto them. So you can, uh, I actually um, didn't buy anything from them. I put in my order. <laughs> save me, uh, save them a stamp because because yeah. um, they, they usually send out a self, you know, a, a, a um, post-free envelope with their catalogue. So I just filled that out and handed it over to Chrissy. And um, well done. It was good to see her and Will there in the morning as well. Uh, look. Um, but I'd put in a word, uh, you were talking about some rare bulbs and things before. Um, Andrew Van Rains is there selling tecophilias. Yes, which are the blue crocus. Each. Yeah, and they're the blue crocuses, and he's a naughty man to sell them at that price because none of us can uh, compete with that that's one. That's right, and they're, they're not that difficult either. No, no, they're, they're no. actually not that hard a bulb to grow, but mm. for people who don't know the tecophilias, they're a, an incredible, intense blue crocus-like yeah. flower that comes from Chile. And for quite some time, they were thought to be extinct in the wild, but they've been rediscovered in a couple of different areas that obviously hadn't been botanised before. Mm. So they are still in the wild, but beautiful bulb, well well worthwhile growing. And at 10 bucks each, yeah. I remember probably 20 years ago, I was selling them for $40 each. So mm. And $40 yeah. that yeah. way back actually bought more than it does now. <laughs> well, yes, there's also, I mean, a few of the other sellers are selling it, but I think the cheapest I've seen them for is... Um, um, Tonkins are selling it, I think, for 25 mm-hmm. Uh But Andrew's also got uh, cyclamen in flower, so mm-hmm. heterofoliums, and then some, um, uh, I think he had some Greekum in as well. Oh, good. Um, but, um, yeah, and there's also some of the rarer plants, like um, the Conanthras from South America. Yeah, they're another and, lovely um, blue flowering bulb. Yes, yeah, a great little thing. Mm. And uh, and some very rare gladioli. This is Citrinus, and is it for me? Or? Sorry? Citrinus. Citrinus, yes. Oh. Um, although that it is it is called something else now. but Yeah, it's got a longer citrinus. name now. Trichoninus, Cichiofolius or something like that. But, yeah. but as we were discussing it and said, no, we don't believe in that. Oh, <laughs> that's just convenience, really. Well, right. no, it's, well, it's goldblatt, and he, you know, their their ideas of what a species is is so different. The other thing is that Stephen, it'll thrill your heart to know that Craig uh, Gardner is there, and he has more oxalis on display there than you, you'll ever see in any nursery, <laughs> not even yours. I don't know, I've got 69 so. different species and cultivars <laughs> now, so I think I've got a fairly sort of decent-sized <laughs> collection of oxalis. All right, yes. well, thank you for that, Fernie. Okay. we better move on, but I hope a lot of people will come oh, up and visit uh, Fernie Creek. Yeah. The, the other thing was that today is a special family day. The reason why you can't park inside the grounds is because they're running a lot of um, activities for kids. Oh, so you don't want to run over the children. In, yeah, including a bouncy castle. Oh, no, I can there. see you in there, <laughs> Bernie. <laughs> I'm not there today because they won't let me on it. Oh, goodness me. All right, we better go for the Fermi, but thank Thanks you for ringing in. All right, All bye. Right, bye. All right, well, we've got, we've got other calls coming in, so we better run through some of, uh, some of those. Um, we've got uh, Bernie. Bernie, are you there in Langwarra? Yes, I am. Thank ah, you. All right. Now, what's your question for our panel this morning? Good. Thanks very much. 
Um, I've got a gum tree that's been cut down to about um, just over two metres high. Mm. It's starting to grow again, which As I don't will. want. So you're, you're actually can I asking... Can poison it and can you recommend a poison? Mm. Well, 3CR doesn't normally recommend... We, uh, we get in trouble. We get into trouble recommending poisons and things. But uh, if you're prepared to use a poison, and you will have to probably poison it to get rid of it quickly because uh, it'll keep shooting no matter what you do, I would cut it down again, so I'd bring it down lower. And as soon as you cut it off, we use the dreaded Roundup. And you use it neat and you just paint it on the top of the cut oh. and that will kill the tree. I use 70%, 30% water, yeah. and if, if you if you water it down just a little bit, it's not quite as viscous, yeah, and so the tree it soaks it up more yeah. quickly. Yeah. So, but you need to spray, you need to put it on the cut as soon as you do the cut. The theory is that you release tension when you cut the top off the tree, and so by painting it straight away, it virtually sucks it down into the root system. So, mm. if you need to get rid of a tree like that, and certainly. It's sometimes the only way you're going to protect yourself if you cut down a tree that's inclined to sucker. Yeah. I mean, eucalypts don't normally do that. They'll just shoot off the trunk. But um, some things like rabinias and gladitsias and elm trees, and there's a whole range of trees that sucker from the roots when you cut them down. If you don't poison the stump, you'll spend the rest of your life dealing with suckers. You're just painting the Cambrian layer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not, not the entire stump. So you need a, yeah, just yeah. a tiny <laughs> paintbrush and gloves and... and yeah. uh, it is a very directed use of a chemical. Uh, I don't normally recommend chemicals for anything, but for something like that, that's probably the only way you can go. You know, I mean, I use it for blackberry because if you try to dig out an old blackberry, every little piece of root that you leave behind reshoots. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it, it is one it's of those self-preservation things. Yeah. All right, I hope that helps, Bernie. Well, could, what could I do? I, I, I want to drill some auger holes in it and then pour... Weed killer or something like that. No, that, 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 that's not going to help you, Bernie, because you're drilling down into the wood, not into the cambium. Yeah. So you're better just to cut the tree off at a, a lower than what it is to get a fresh cut yeah. and then paint the cambium layer. Couldn't agree more. Mm. So that's two two metres is too high. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I'd oh, bring it, it yeah. 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 All right. I hope that helps. All well, right. Thanks very much. That's a pleasure. We'll catch up again. All right, we've got uh, on line nine, we have Lou from Malvern. Are you there? I am here. Ah, how are you this morning? Just um, waking up with second coffee. <laughs> and, well done. Uh, seeing my little Karawong friend looking at me through the window. Ah. Um, he's a very timid, uh, beautiful bird. Uh, but he is on the tree. Mm. Uh, which is a beautiful crab apple. I don't know which one it is. It's been in for 30 years. Yeah. But the roots are covered in woolly aphid. And I had the same thing on all my apple trees in the back garden. It was just, I've given up with apples. <laughs> yeah. um, because the woolly aphid had infested the pink ladies and the Jonathan. Mm. And uh, I'm just waiting for winter and when they're perhaps pruned, treating it. But I've heard that methylated spirits may be helpful. Yeah. And yeah. since it's roots, I can get down there. I can't get up the other trees and do it. Mm -hmm. But I wondered what you thought about methylated spirits and where have all these woolly aphids come from? They're just terrible. <laughs> it's, it's a season like no other. And That's there right. are mm. bugs and fungies and all sorts of things that are going 
rampant because of the weather we've been having. Uh, but to get back to your question on dealing with them, yes, methylated spirits actually works quite well. I suspect they'd hate it. Yeah, they do. And it soaks straight through their protective coverings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you can dab methylated spirits all over them, uh, you will clean them up. But remember, they're one of those pests that are recurrent. So that you might clean them up for this season, but you may have to deal with them another year. But they will be worse some years than others. It's really just, lethal. No, it can be a bit deformative yeah. if you get really bad right. um, mm. uh, woolly aphids. But yes, it's really lethal to the trees. Um, but oh, yeah, good. yeah, but yeah, get down, deal with it uh, with some methylated spirits, and it'll do the job perfectly well. Wonderful. I know it's always hard work with gardens. You don't find any silver bullets. You've no. got to really. Yeah. Well, there do was it a hard. politician who once said life wasn't meant to be easy, and I think that can be multiplied by ten <laughs> in gardening. So, um, but yeah, that will do the job, and it's a comparatively benign thing to do. So you're not f- putting a nasty poison or spray around. So it should do thank the job you. well, Lou. All right. Thank you thank for you calling for a in. Program. Oh, that's thank a pleasure. Bye bye. All right. Um, we have a follow-up call. Um, all right, somebody wants to know a little bit more about Habranthus this time. And uh, it's Jan. She would like to know what varieties of Habranthus are available, if any. Uh, maybe some general info on the plants. Well, Habranthuses are... Rain lily. Rain lilies. So they're related to the Zephyrinthes. Mm. Um, they're... They tend to come up with the first rains and flower, hence rain lilies. Um, And their flowers tend to be a bit chubbier than the the classical... And it's sort of different range of colours, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, you get some really interesting coppery oranges and things like that with Hebranthus. I would be really surprised if there weren't some available from Gary Reed and the light up at uh, Fernie Creek today. I'm a little bit frightened of them. Are you? They self-seed and go ballistic. Oh, you're another one of those that doesn't like a plant with a zest for life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, they yeah, might in certain climates. I mean, I've never found them at all uh, aggressive in my garden because it's so dry in the summer. Yeah. Um, and having said that, I've managed to kill a few different species of abranthuses over the years. Right. Um, so I guess it's different strokes for different folks. That's right. It depends exactly yeah. on your climate yeah. entirely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. true. Um, but they're generally easy plants. They're like a sunny-ish aspect, yeah. uh, like a lot of those sort of... Of autumn flowering things, they need a dry summer dormancy. Um, but apart from that, there's not really any tricks they to flower with the first rains in autumn, yeah. hence, hence their name. Yeah, so yeah. they shouldn't be hard for you to grow, Jan. It's just a matter of um, sourcing them. And certainly, Gary Reed would be one of my first ports of call. And yeah, today Jane we'll Tonkin probably. Jane will have some, I would yeah. imagine. Yeah. yeah, so some of the specialist bulb growers, and of course, a lot of these people, although they'll be up at Fernie Creek today, uh, they come from all over the place. place. I mean, uh, Gary lives up at Allen's Flat up sort of in northern Victoria. Uh, he's even got an 02 phone number, so yeah. <laughs> almost classed as New South Wales. Um, but a lot of these people will send plant material out. So yeah. I would certainly go up and see them today because they may well have them in pots in flower yeah. so that you can see what you're buying. Um, but, uh, yeah, they shouldn't be too hard to buy. Where do they originate, them? The Hebranthus is South America. South America, yeah. 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 And I think they might extend up into Central America as well, yeah. um, as do the Zephyrinthes. I mean, they yeah. grow up into Texas and places like that too. So, yeah, that's... So when you say South America, the lower slopes of the Andes, the Mediterranean... 
climate. Yeah, Mediterranean-style climates. Mm-hmm. So, um, so most of them, well, as Craig says, they can get a bit weedy in some people's gardens. So yeah. I think they're fairly well adapted to our sort of exactly. Australian yeah. Mediterranean-type climate. And you can yeah. get them in the hot colours, oranges and yellows. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, whereas some of the others tend to be much more subtle. Colours. That's right. But, yeah. Yeah. And I like the sort of burnt orangey ones that yeah. you see. I think they're Absolutely. rather, rather splendid because yeah. it's a sort of an odd colour that you don't see mm. very often. So, yeah, so that's good. Um, all right, I've lost the plot. Uh, must be Craig's turn to have a chat about something you've bought along, Craig. What else have you got there? Um, black pine, Pinus oh. thumbergii, yep. or thumbergiana if you're American. Oh, gawks. <laughs> yeah, well, the Americans have a different way of using all languages. They obviously. do. But, but the, you know, the first time I saw a dwarf black pine was actually in your garden. Yeah. Mm. This would be 35 years mm. ago. Gawks, and, yeah. and it must have been spring because it was covered in white candles. That's the other thing about pines that I love, yeah. is that in the spring you get these candle-like growths that stick up all yeah. over them with no needles on to start with. And so it gives you a really interesting seasonal change. So they're not... Monochrome, oh, they're not static, static no, 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 at all. no, no, no. Uh, so, although they're evergreen, you do get seasonal change in them. And and the, there are the yatsabosa is the term for dwarf black pine, the big ones. The white pines are American, the black pines are Japanese. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so there's and lots they, of Japanese names when you get into the black pine. That's right, and and they grow right down on the coast, yeah. right down on the seashore. So they're they're pretty tough. Mm. Um, the Yatsabusa forms are not used for bonsai, mm. despite what every Australian nurseryman will tell you. <laughs> um, they always use the big ones. Yeah. And there's lots of different forms of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Pinus thumbergia or Yatsabusa is probably the biggest one. Yeah, it's quite a large grower. Quite a large grower and fantastic for Niwaki if you're wanting to train um, a pine for a Japanese garden. It's impossible to hide the grafter as far as I can figure out. And, and uh, no, we have one ourselves. Ourselves and uh, and the the union is it bulges quite considerably, but we we um, pile up pine needles around That's it so fine. you don't see it. Yeah. But they um, yeah they prune very well and and the, the the dwarf forms will shoot back on quite old wood, and then they come down to Emery's dwarf, which yeah, is quite pretty tiny. low, mm. and then lower than that again is Thunderhead. Mm. Dreadful name, but a nice plant. Yeah. yeah. Actually, that does raise an issue. Some some breeders uh, should be given a course in plant naming because <laughs> yeah. there are some dreadful names yeah, out there for absolutely. plants. Absolutely. And you think, why would you sort of lump a good plant like that with an awful name yeah. like that? Yeah. Uh, I always use the example, if we're talking about plant names, that probably one of the best-selling rhododendrons in the world was Pink Pearl, yeah. only because of its name. I mean, it's a fairly ordinary rhododendron. It's I quite like it. Do you? Yeah. Oh, I find it yellowish foliage and, and open habit and, and these big floppy pink flower heads. I don't know. I just don't like it particularly. Yeah. But, you know, again, different strokes, different yeah. folks. Um, but it sells because of its name as much yeah. as anything. People can remember that name. It is... Uh, conducive to thinking about what the plant can do, and yet I think a far superior rhododendron, except unfortunately one that you need to graft, uh, that is a fabulous rhododendron and even scented, uh, but will never ever come back into the marketplace again because it was called Faggotter's Favourite. Oh dear, where is it? <laughs> well, the, you'll see plants of it up in the rhododendron okay. collection up at the Dandenongs. I used to have it at, the, at my old family nursery when we specialised more in rhododendrons. Yeah. But, it, I mean, Mrs. Faggeter was probably a lovely lady. Yeah. But it's a 
dreadful name for a plant. I mean, faggot's favourite, really. Yeah. Um, and there's probably even worse ones out there. Yes. So, yeah, so, you know, they should really think through when they're going to give a plant a name because if you want your plant that you've discovered or bred or whatever to go on into infinity in the horticultural industry, it'll only do so if it has a name that sort of helps. Yeah. You know, it could yeah. be the best plant in the world, but if it's got an awful name, it's just never going to take no, off. The, the, my grass is uh, the... the uh uh, the, uh, I have a planting flourus around the nasia, Mervyn feces feces uh, form, and, uh, and, and which is a spectacularly good plant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Mervyn was a lovely bloke. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. There's sempervivums with weird names like there's um, Scrocky's beauty and <laughs> uh, and Slabber's seedling, and you know all sorts of weird names for yeah. some of those succulents. And I don't think that helps them sell. <laughs> no. Well, just, if you're in a big production nursery, you just change it. Yeah, which I think <laughs> was also a bad thing. I really do object to people changing the names of plants for expediency or, or whatever or to make it then the newest thing that they're releasing, mm. even though it's an old thing that's been around forever. Yeah. Um, so the dwarf forms of Pinus thumbergii, if, if you're looking for a, a pine to use in a Japanese garden... They are probably the best. Yeah, yeah. And there is a huge range of a big range of sizes and shapes, and yeah. Yeah. One one intriguing one that we we are growing is Kotobuki, which is not dwarf at all. Right. Um. But uh, and and I've spent years trying to figure out whether or not it deserves its uh, its place, and uh, but decided to leave it. But it's it's an upright um, form of uh, Thumbergii, and much darker and open. And with with more character than any other kind of fur that I can think of, mm. uh, for for just those characteristics, yeah. so it's a lovely thing. And then, and then of course there is the, the nashiki, the corkbark form. Ah, yes, which, yeah, is, which is the is the only um, plant that I know that the Japanese use for bonsai that's grafted. Yeah, they'll accept mm. a graft on nashiki. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is remarkable looking bark. So absolutely, yeah. yeah. And that's something that people don't think about too with conifers. You think of conifers and you always think, you know, stolid, uh, thick, dark, evergreen things. Uh, but many conifers do develop beautiful, beautiful bark. bark. Well, I think that, that yeah. goes across the board with yeah. trees. Yeah. yeah. I was up at Don Tisa's garden the other day and his Pinus bungianus oh. has now got a trunk <laughs> about, well, the old oh. measurement's nearly a foot across. Yeah. And the colours on the bark are sort of grey and green and white. And, yeah. uh, and how old is it, Stephen? Oh, it'd only be 30 years or so old. Well, that's, you know, that's not so bad because it, it, my understanding of Bungiana is it needs to be about 60 or 100 years old to be really good. Yeah, well, I'm, I have to say I've not seen one of that sort of age yeah, bracket. It's, it's a Chinese, it's a, it's a Chinese pine and just mm. famous for its bark, but yeah. also one of these trees that you plant for your grandchildren. And we should be. Absolutely. You know, these, these people who want instant effect yep. in their garden. Yep. Um, you know, I get people regularly and they say, oh, look, I need something quick to hide my neighbours. And, yep. and I say, well, what's the problem? And they say, well, you know, the neighbour's window looks straight into our bathroom. And I say, well, just walk around naked, they'll stop. Yep. Um, but, um, you know, I don't think there's many things in a garden that we have to have instantly. I mean, yep. we get instant food, we get instant everything else in life, instant information. All those things are to our fingertips, our garden should be a process, not a product. That's right. And, and I had this battle with my brother not long ago who wanted to plant a Chinese elm in a relatively small suburban backyard. Oh. And, and I said to him, you know, 
planting trees is something that you do for future generations. Mm. You don't plant trees that are going to cause them problems. Mm. Why? When you can plant something that they'll be able to enjoy. Yeah. I mean, it's quite logical, but people don't sort of think it through. I might also add, when you're talking trees... I regularly find people come and say, oh, I want a tree for my garden. And I say, how big a tree do you want? That's right. And they normally say something like two metres. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that is not a tree. It's actually a small shrub. Yes, it is a small <laughs> shrub. I mean, a tree has got to be taller than the roof of the house to yeah. be a yeah, tree. I five, 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 six metres at least yeah. Yeah. before you're talking about trees. Yeah. So the situation yeah, yeah, with I mean, my brother resolved itself with pistachia, mm. which I think was a good choice. Uh, yeah, and that is a lovely tree. That's right. Yeah. In fact, where was I... Yesterday, no, Thursday when I was doing my circuit, I was in here doing a panel operating um, course, uh, and then I went off to Bickley Vale, and somewhere on the way to Bickley Vale, I think, or was it on the other side of it, I can't remember now, but there was a medium strip down the middle of a divided road. Mount Dandenong Road. It's Croydon. Croydon. In Croydon. That's where it must have been. Beautiful And and the pistachios are just starting to turn. That's right. And Um. I thought, give them a couple of weeks. That's going to look stunning. They're they're all seedlings. They're all different. They they turn different colours. They're just extraordinary. And whoever had that... that, that inspiration to plant pistachios down along there is uh, it was just brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the joys. Yeah, yeah, one of the yeah. joys of driving accident. around Croydon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's where I because I hadn't driven down that road before because I don't normally come into the Danny Nongs from that direction. Okay. So I hadn't driven down there before mm. and I was quite impressed. Yeah. Have you ever tried crushing their leaves, Stephen? Never thought about it. Well, you should. Oh, should <laughs> I? They're very aromatic. Yeah. Smell of radishes. And I understand it is one of those trees that can be used as a salad green if, if you're hungry enough. Uh, yeah, a bit like the, the old Cidrella as well. I yeah. mean, I've, I've yeah. chewed on that and thought, you know what? I'd have to be hungry to bother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yet I regularly get um, people from the Asian community coming into the nursery looking for that. because they, For that reason. Yeah, yeah. For, the, for the foliage because they use it in salads and things. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a big difference between things that are edible and things that are seriously palatable. Uh, Be- beach leaves. They're quite tasty when they're young. Goodness me. I can see us all <laughs> foraging now. Trees, oh, cutting down me. trees and eating them. All right, we better go to our next call. So we've got... Good morning, Mr Bentley. How are you, John? Hello, Mr Ryan. I'm well, thank you. That's good. You've got something happening at Melton that you wanted to tell us about? Oh, there's always things happening at Melton. Well, there is. Uh, but uh, right across Australia today, it's uh, Clean Up Australia Day. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd encourage everyone to um, try and get out somewhere and pick up a bit of rubbish. But I'd really like to encourage everybody to pick up rubbish any time and not drop it in the first place. But if people would like to try and get down to the Melton Botanic Garden by 10 o'clock, we'll be... Um, out and about doing a little bit of cleaning up. We've um, got a little bit of industrial rubbish that's blown in, but yeah. otherwise um, the garden usually looks pretty good and you can enjoy walking around the garden picking Fantastic. up Fantastic. All right. Well, if people want to come in, do they have to um, make a booking or anything, or do people no, just show up? we just turn up and we'll throw a, um, a pair of tongs or a pickup tool in a bag their way and uh, send them off in a direction to... Uh, go on a hide-and-seek mission to uh, find rubbish. <laughs> Good. Is there a prize for the most innovative piece of rubbish somebody finds? <laughs> <laughs> we, we do find some interesting things. I've still got a few things at home that uh, I think I've found over the years. Yeah. From yeah. A, someone had a, I don't know, it's a 1950s-looking fruit bowl or something that we fished out the lake one day. 
Goodness me. Oh, well, there you go. So that's on today, and people should go out anyway. What's looking really fantastic in the gardens at the moment? Any particular group of plants people should look out for? Oh, a lot of the salvias are looking good. Yeah. Um, and we've got them in the Californian uh, garden, Mediterranean garden, and the Southern African garden oh, as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. But we'll have a big effort um, probably next month um, pruning them all back, of course, once yes. they finish flowering. Yep, all right. Well, that sounds good. So Melton could be a place to go today then. It could, but I'd like to please mention another day to come to the Melton Botanic ah, Garden. All right, yes. Why not indeed? We've got another public tour coming up to celebrate National Eucalypt Day. Mm-hmm. On That's Tuesday the 23rd of March at 10 o'clock. Um, and so you get to look around um, a nationally registered collection um, of dryland eucalypts, and yeah. that's registered with Plant Trust. It is a remarkable collection, mm. and uh, if anybody thinks they know what a gum tree looks like, they probably should go down and have a look at some of the eucalypts in your collection, because some of them don't look like most people's classic concept of a gum tree. Yeah, so, so the guided tour is, is just on the eucalypt collection. Yeah. Um, probably take about 90 minutes, um, and it's led by David and Barb Pye, who um, are the project managers of the Eucalyptus Arboretum. Mm-hmm. There's also a booklet of all the eucalypts on our website, oh, um, and there'll be plants for sale. Oh, we've got eucalypts for sale at the nursery on the day too. Fantastic. So, so you can go home with something. Yeah, that one we have asked people to book in for. Yeah. So if I can, I'll read out a phone number. Yeah, why not indeed, John? It's 9743-3819. That's 9743-3819. Or people can email us at friends at fmbg.org.au. Or look on our website and they can do a booking through our contact form there too. Fantastic. So we're pretty flexible, but we just didn't do online bookings. Yeah. So okay. it should be. It's, it's a spectacular collection um, and it's something that people come from um, all over Australia to have a look at now. John, just out of curiosity, uh, dryland eucalypts, would you have gimlets in that collection? Um, I, oh, I don't know it that well. But John, I'm all you say sure. is yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a West Australian. It, come, it comes from uh, the eastern wheat belt running, th- the, the rabbit proof fence running through to southern Kalgoorlie. And it's one oh, of the most yeah, extraordinary okay. trees. It's, uh, I'd be surprised smaller, if they haven't got it. Yeah, a smaller grower. Uh, the, the trunk is uh, the, 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 just an extraordinary range of colours running through the trunks. And the trunks are often fluted. Uh, is one of the most glorious trees that you could possibly see, but it's a dryland eucalypt. And yeah. <laughs> and well, it sounds like Melton most yeah. probably would be quite good. We, you we need we, to make we, a visit. We, we, mm. we, we probably have it, but uh, I can't say I've studied that. We, we've mm. got quite a lot of plants across a 26-hectare spread, so uh, yes, I, I must admit it's not one that readily comes to mind, but it wouldn't surprise me because we've got a really great range of... How many species? Trees and, and a... If, if you finish the, the guided walk and you have lunch in the garden or in Melton and you've got another afternoon to wander around and look at the West Australian, South Australian garden and that's divided up into bioregions so there is a Kalgoorlie section, a Murchison section, oh. an Esperance section so um, they're representative plants from those areas. 
They would have to be there. Yeah. Mm. No, I think you need a trip out to Melton, uh, to mm. be honest, I think, Jeremy. Mm. You yep. need to go and have <laughs> a look at some stage. The, the little eucalypts are fantastic plants for mm. a small garden. They are. To, and, and, and they provide the ideal shade mm. because it's just that light dappled shade. Yeah, fabulous yeah. plants. All right, John, well, I will catch up with you in due course, I'm sure, and I hope that your um, events go well. Thank you very much. That's okay. a pleasure. We'll catch up. Bye. All right, so there we go. So uh, we've got Sue online, so we might go in and see if we can chat to Sue. Are you there, Sue? I am, indeed. Uh, how are you this morning? Not bad, thank you. Um, I have um, what I would uh, like are some suggestions with regard to, I suppose, possibly tree-like shrubs. Now, not trees. So I have a long embankment, um, which is about 70 metres, probably a bit longer than that, mm. the side of which is planted with numerous things, not native, so it would be euphorbias and bulbs and succulents and a variety right. of different mm. things, um, which is looking quite nice. Um, there is a large, large, large gum tree that's probably a third on the top of that embankment or probably about a third of the way along. Mm-hmm. Now, on that embankment, we bury our large animals that have died, very large animals. <laughs> All right. And we like to, and what I haven't done, so so far at the moment we have three, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And um, we'd like to commemorate them. So they need to sort of end up being, because obviously it would be about six metres apart from that particular uh, gum tree. Mm. And I'd like to commemorate them with something that would be complementary to the gum tree, not necessarily native, stand alone, but not trees. Not large, so, you're look, yeah, so you're looking for very large shrubs. Um, yeah, they're going to go into that sort of mix. Metapanax? Uh, yes. Yes, metapanax. 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 Yeah, that's yes. a possibility. Actually, it's probably a little bit open in form and will eventually get taller than you want, but I would like the idea on a bank like that of putting in some cassonia, the uh, <coughs> South African cabbage tree. Yep. Um, it has wonderful big grey leaves in the mm. paniculata species um, and these heavy sort of solid trunks, which would look great with euphorbias and what have you. It would. And, yeah. and they're very drought tolerant um, and they're very yeah. in-your-face sort of plants. They're really yeah. bold and interesting. So a cassonia could be another possibility. Uh, right. What, what else can we think of, gentlemen? We must be able to give Sue a couple do they more. Have a, do they have flowers at all? Cassonias have, well, actually, metapanax and cassonias both have comparatively small greenish flowers. They're, they're not... They're not showy in some senses. It but depends who you are yeah, as yeah. to whether they're showy or not. The metapanax is flowering now, and, and the foliage is very dark green, and, yeah. the, and the flowers are yeah. a vibrant acid green. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so uh, they would work quite well, I would have thought. Um, and, of course, there's a couple of tree-like euphorbias that could go into that mix, euphorbia lambii and euphorbia mellifera. Uh, which do get to easily four metres, yeah. um, and they again get the acidy green flowers. They mm. uh, eye tends to have grey foliage. Mellifera has a more sort of mid-green foliage, and they both grow into quite 
sort of round-headed plants, so they're quite shapely. Yeah, mellifera needs a bit more water, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit more water, but yeah. it's still comparatively drought-tolerant, yeah. I find. Lambi yeah. ice tough. I wouldn't water, I wouldn't water there at all. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, any of the things we've suggested, I don't know how well the metapanax is going to cope with being extremely know. dry. I don't yeah. either. Yeah. Uh, although I've got one in the garden at home, and I don't think I water it intentionally very often, and yeah. it seems to come through all right. So, yeah. So there's a few ideas for you, Sue. That's great. Would there be anything that actually would have, I mean, it's a, bit, a big ask, but would there be anything that actually would have different coloured flowers to what? represent the coloured animals? That Mexican <laughs> Malvaceae with big pink flowers. Oh, yes. Um, uh, Phimosia. Phimosia, yeah. yeah. Phimosia umbellata gets um, rich, deep, cherry pink, um, hibiscus-type flowers. Uh, and it gets a, a leaf a bit like an abutilin leaf. Yeah, a bit, bit bigger. But a bit bigger. Yeah. And it grows to about four metres or yeah. so, and it makes a sort of a, I guess, a conical, yeah. uh, broadly conical sort of shrub. Uh, and it's very drought tolerant. Um, and actually, thinking about it, some of the angel's trumpets, the Brugmansias, yeah. would be a possibility. I mean, you can't, yeah. Yeah, you can't ask for something more in your face flower-wise than, yeah. a, than a good Brugmansia. So the angel's trumpets right. could be worth looking at as well. Sorry, what was that last one? I apologise. The Phimosia. Or the Brugmansia. and... And the Brugmansias, the angel's trumpets. Oh, the angel's Yeah, and you mm. can get a range of different colours in those, and they, they'd look good with the euphorbias and other things around them. The, yeah, the, 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 the orange one's colours? the toughest, isn't it? Mm. What was that, Sue? Are they drought colours? Yeah, yeah. They're okay. very tough. I mean, they may not grow as fast if you're not sort of feeding them and watering them, but they'll cope and they'll flower. I'm sure most trees would like getting their roots into a carcass. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah they're probably going to be well fed. Yeah. Yeah, uh, oh, right, fair enough. All right, well, I hope that gives you some ideas. Yes, that's wonderful. Thank you so much indeed. That's, that's an absolute pleasure. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye. Right, there we go. So that was quite good. All right, gentlemen, we've still got half an hour to go. We might as well mention the phone numbers again as well. So if you want to ring in on the uh, on-air line, it's 94190155, or the off-air line is 94198377. So ring us up and have a chat to us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, I haven't had anybody yet give us a triumphant phone call, somebody who's got something in their garden that they're exceedingly pleased with that they'd like to skite about. That would be fun. So do that, but we're also here happy to answer any questions if you've got any. Uh, all right, I don't care which one of you want to go next for something. Well, there's a break in the conversation. I'd, I'd be good to mention that we're having another go with Ozak and, and um, Shakespeare uh, ah. this coming weekend. And uh, this has been a little bit of a saga because... Um, well, we've always been doing twilight recitals, uh, twilight events for yeah. years and years and years. And this season we had to uh, just cut right back. We, but we decided to carry on with the Shakespeare because we've been working with Ozak now mm. for about 15 years. I've forgotten how long. Um, anyway, um, they're coming and putting on a, um, 
a festival of Shakespeare. So it's not Ooh. a particular play, it's, it's several plays, uh, but the highlights from several plays. And, so this is the and, Reader's Digest uh, uh, well, <laughs> well, version of well, Shakespeare. Well, no, no it's, a, it's, a, it's just highlights. So it's <laughs> those famous scenes from Shakespeare, which is kind of, uh, sounds a bit odd, but it, I've actually seen it done and it can be brilliant. Mm. In fact, uh, um, um, in fact, <laughs> going back to collecting grasses in England in 1988, we're, we're uh, walking around uh, my uh, wife's family live in Kent, and so not far from Canterbury. So we were in Canterbury one day and visiting the cathedral, and um, it was a lovely summer's day, masses of people, and there was a little group putting on Shakespeare, doing exactly this, um, the highlights uh, from half a dozen of his plays in various parts of the um, the grounds of the cathedral. The cathedral, of course, is surrounded by a wall and it has buildings running off in all directions. And um, so there's nooks and crannies everywhere. And it was just one of those extraordinary days so walking around and, and, and every half hour or so running into the same mob, putting on a different Shakespeare yeah. play. So when's yours, though, Jeremy, most where, where This is coming up this weekend, uh, this coming weekend, so on the 13th. And um, do people need uh, to book? Yes, yeah, absolutely, with COVID. So it's... it's uh, uh, and we have reduced um, um, uh, um, audiences as well. So, right, so how do they go about it? So it's all on the website. Go to Try Booking. It's um, uh, Try Booking. If you look up um, Shakespeare at Cloud Hill on uh, Try Booking, there it is. Um, and, and in fact, the original uh, p- uh, the performance was meant to be way back in January. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got caught out, of course. <laughs> so we had to cancel in the last last uh, two or three days. It was all very difficult. And, and um, but uh, most of the tickets were sold uh, way back in January. And most people have been generous enough to to wait patiently month oh. after month. And so, we've, so it's off again uh, this coming weekend. Does that 13th mean and that 14th. there might not be many tickets left then? Exactly right. Yeah. There's not all that many tickets. Yeah. So, um, so we're, But there's still a few yeah. for both nights. So right. we're hoping that um, people leap onto the website and Good. buy tickets. Why not? All right, we better get back to things that are on the um, monitor here. Uh, we've got a text message in from Margot MacDonald, and she's given us lots of kisses. Thank you, Margot. Um, and she said, great discussion on conifers. Thank you, boys. Question, when is the optimal time to prune dwarf black pines, uh, which are getting a bit too big for their boots? And Margot is in a very frosty area, so she comes from out the other side of Kyneton. Yeah, I, I prune them when the new growth hardened off in spring. So do you wait for the needles to come out? You wait for the needles to come out. You wait for it to, for it to become hard and, and, you know, yeah. a bit prickly, and then you prune it. So that would probably be mid-November, mid to late yeah, so November. Yeah, late-ish spring. That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and uh, give them the, a feed at the same time. The uh, way that yeah. uh, it was explained to me when you're pruning uh, Japanese pines, for instance, yeah. is you, you'll get a, 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 a central... Um, shoot and then surrounded by a, a yeah. group of shoots yeah. and you yeah. prune out the central shoot right. and um, so prune out the central candle it was, yeah. the, the, it was yeah. how, to put, how it's put to me and so that's what we've been doing with ours. Yeah. The thing with, with, with well I think pruning in general is little bits often is better yeah. than a big prune every now and again. Yeah well then and you don't have to cut through big stems. That's right and certainly with the pines you know if you spend 15-20 minutes a year Mm. Taking out the big, the main candles, then you're going to keep them in control. Yeah. Yep. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got um, aha. On line seven, we have 
Liz, I hope. Are you there, Liz, uh, in Bentley? Uh, and you've got something to Skype about, I believe. Liz? Liz? Oh, my name, my name is Ruth. Well, it must be you, Ruth. Somebody's put the wrong name up on the monitor because I've got Liz there. But if you're on line seven, which you are, you're probably the person we want to talk to. Have you got something to boast about? Well, I've got a tree gardenia that I planted in about 1980. Mm -hmm. It took a good 15 years to flower. Yeah, which I'm not surprised about, yes. uh, (laughs) And this summer, especially because it's been so humid, I've also got um, a couple of snail creepers around the garden that have been in for years. And the perfume mm. between the two of them has just been magnificent. How big's your tree gardenia, Ruth? Um, I keep it, like you say, about pruning as a big fat pillar. So it's about eve height now. That's fantastic. I sort of just keep it trimmed to that big fat pillar shape. And, yeah. and did you have lots and lots of blooms this year? Oh, just, it looks like a big fat ice cream. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Well, I think that's something to brag about, yeah. I have to say, because the tree gardenia is a plant not for the um, uh, mildly interested and impatient gardener. That's right. Um, and yeah. they make the most unattractive small plants. They are really gawky, weird-looking things when they're babies. Uh, Anybody who'd pick one of those up at a nursery and take it home uh, has to have faith in the future. Yeah. Mm. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Yes, I'll never forget the first time. I didn't even notice the first flower. What? A friend came. I I'm used to seeing all this lovely green shape. And and she said, what is that? And then I realised that, oh, I was so happy. I'll never forget that feeling. I I wouldn't either. I think that's fantastic. I think you need to be congratulated on that one. Yeah. 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 So thank you for bringing in with a nice story. Okay, thank you. That's a pleasure. We'll catch up again, Ruth. Bye. All right, so here we go. All right, uh, there's no other calls coming through at the moment. Uh, There's something there on the text message I can only get part of, so we'll leave that there until somebody might scroll it up for me a bit so I can actually read it. I've lost the plot. Where were we do? What were we up to, and what were we talking about? Just if we've got five minutes, I've, I've got a website that I've put up now, which is very modern for me, <laughs> Move, moving into the 21st century, kicking and screaming. All right, but yes. it's, it's got a blog attached to it, ah. which I like to write about really practical stuff. Yeah. So the latest article I've put up was about feeding mm-hmm. and fertilisers. Fantastic. So what is your website called, if people want to go in? GentianaNursery.com, right, so I assume, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if somebody typed in Gentiana yeah. Nursery, they'd probably find your website. That's right. And then they could go in and look at you your Look at blog. the blog. And, and, and um, the, the person who's been trying to teach me very patiently to use this technology has been trying to get me to use things which are Google-friendly. Oh, yes. So, that, so that when you yeah. search, it pops up, and I'm afraid I just have no idea yeah, what I'm no. doing. I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Um, actually, you mentioned the technology, and I probably would like to mention myself 
that I've now moved to the next level and some people will be aware I mentioned it last time I was in that Stephen Ryan and a friend now have their own YouTube channel um, which I'm having a lot of fun doing and fortunately my offsider um, Matthew is the one that has all the technical knowledge so he can do the filming, the editing, get it up and ready and, and we post a an episode every Friday, um, and it could vary from ten minutes to twenty minutes, depending that's on what. That's prolific. Every yeah, we're, we're <laughs> that, doing, well. You've got to apparently. That's another thing. Your your algorithms go up if you're really uh, sort of systematic about this, and you do it on a regular basis. So yeah. if you're going to ever sort of get anywhere on YouTube, you apparently have to be yeah. a really regular uh, uh, user of it. And uh, so one week it'll be a plant profile of yeah. some sort. Another week it might be some sort of practical thing, although it won't be when to sow the carrots because there's plenty of other people already doing that stuff. So it'll be slightly more esoteric than that or yeah. perhaps a little bit more upmarket than that or whatever. And we're also going to do some eye candy, so um, we'll go out and film in gardens. But again, we want to film in gardens and give people information, not just wander around and say, isn't that pretty? That's been my thing with the website. You know, so often you jump online and look at websites and there's things bouncing off the screen at you and they're trying to flog you, this, that and the other. I think, well, it's nice to have somewhere where you can go in and actually learn something as well as shop. As well as shop, yeah. (laughs) Well, our our Facebook, um, not our Facebook, our our YouTube channel isn't necessarily about shopping, although it might keep me in people's... uh, thoughts and yeah. they might come to visit me at the nursery um, but if anybody wants to go in and check it out uh, obviously I'd love people to like it I'd also like people to subscribe and you can also get a, um, a reminder when the next episode comes up so you can press the little bell at the bottom so that you can get reminded about it so how do we find it it's well it's sort of comparatively easy although I'm not sure we should have used this name because it's a little hard to explain to some people uh, but it's the haughty hyphen culturalists. Okay. So we're a bit of a play on words there. Yeah. So we're the haughty culturalists. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, so we've been going for about a month now. Yep. Uh, we've got four or five um, different things up there. So there's a couple of plant profiles and a couple of practical things. And in time, we'll also be visiting other people. So I'll be coming to see you probably, Craig, and I'll probably come to see Jeremy. And so we'll do some outside stuff. Yep. Uh, so we'll organise two or three interesting things to do in a day and we'll come up to the hills or, you know, might go up to David Glenn's, all that sort of stuff, yep. and do some in-depth sort of things. So, that's good. Um, yeah, so that's our plan. Yeah. Um, so if anybody wants to, try, have a check out The Haughty Culturalists. Actually, someone else is doing that, is, uh, more or less, is Don T. So yeah. you mentioned you were walking around his garden, and uh, I'm, I'm sure uh, people know where that Don retired a year or two back. Yeah. Uh, but he's always had this extraordinary garden, and um, I'm quite familiar with it. And, and that's always been his um, oh, catalogue, I suppose, for his nursery uh, when it was operating. And, uh, and, and so he's just poured himself into his garden. Yeah. And, um, and Don is on Instagram nowadays. So yeah. <laughs> and yeah. with an amazing number of uh, people following uh, what he's said. Uh, that's popping not surprising. Out. <laughs> he puts out some extraordinary plants. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 They're things so that you won't normally see anywhere else. Absolutely. I've got as far as the newsletter attached to the website. And the, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, 
Yeah, need to catch up. <laughs> the trouble is there's not enough hours in the day sometimes. Well, my, yep. my problem is that when I come inside at 5 o'clock, you know, I just want to put my feet up and veg out. Yeah. I don't want to sit there and think about things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but don't you live, breathe and, and, and what have you, plants anyway? I do. Yes. But, but that, you know, that starts at 6 a.m. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, you do have to switch off at some point or another, mm. I guess. All right, now, we've still got quite a little way to go, so if uh, anybody wants to ring us in, it's just gone 9 o'clock. Uh, we're here for another quarter of an hour, and the ring-in line is 94190155. What's and, this beautiful plan, Jeremy? Yeah, and Jeremy's got something he wants to talk about. Good. Oh, um, yeah, well, one of the panicums, and that's a, a group of, uh, uh, that's a, a grass that the Antique Perennial Boys are doing a lot of work with. Uh, they're yeah. making a few selections uh, themselves, um, and this is um, Blue Steel, mm-hmm. uh, so Panicum Vergatum uh, Blue Steel. Um, uh, I, I <laughs> put in two or three uh, way back in... 1990s, they've kind of been superseded now after all that effort. Yeah. Um, uh, but um, yeah, uh, they, 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 they have about four or five now. The panicums are from well, they they grow all around the world. There are native panicums, uh, yeah. Australian oh, okay. uh, uh, natives, but the uh, uh, vergatum is from the United States, um, from the Great Plains. Uh, the uh, yeah, the uh, where the um, the, the buffalo, the bison, uh, millions of those beasties walking well, through. Well, at least uh, and, some and, food for them and, if they happen to arrive. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, I mean, grass areas, are, when you think about uh, where grasses dominate, uh, they're, they're just extraordinary. And uh, the, the Great Plains of America are home to some, uh, some, some, of, the, some of the loveliest of, of the lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, so something to watch out for. It's a, it's a, a vergatum is a, a clumper. They, the, the various varieties get up to oh, about 1.2 to, to about 2 metres or yeah. so. So comparatively and, and, and substantial. Fairly upright, and, uh, but uh, a very ethereal effect to say flower. Yeah, because their flowers and, are and, very open and, 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 and tiny and soft. You need a size clump. And it's quite a bit of colour in the foliage itself, and also quite a few of them have autumn colour. Now, you don't mm. associate uh, grasses with autumn colour, but... There's quite a high percentage of the ornamentals with autumn colour. Yeah, which which adds to their garden value. Absolutely. So you bought in red bean, did you, Jeremy? Or? Um, yes, I did actually. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, and now, now I'm metal? struggling to remember. Just no, not heavy metal. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's two or three that have yeah. appeared somewhat mysteriously uh, in the years since. And um, hmm, no, that's another. Yeah. We another do puzzle. have another uh, text message that's come in. Uh, we'd better deal with, I guess. Uh, Asunta wants to know um, uh, they have squiggly lines through their lemons' new growth and some of the leaves have become distorted. Uh, is this a disease? It sounds to me like some sort of leaf miner or something yeah, like that, mm. which is an insect, tiny insect, which mines through the leaves and leaves weird squiggly little tracks where it's been. But it's not going to hurt the, the plant, is it? Not particularly. I've never seen it in huge numbers. No. Look, mm. if I had something like that on a lemon tree, unless it was really, really bad, I'd just nick off the, or nip off the bits that are, are showing 
yeah. a lot of uh, a lot of it and compost them or bin them um, yeah. and just keep it controlled like that. I mean, I have serious issues spraying any sort of chemicals on something I'm going to eat the produce of. Well, so, anything, actually. Yeah, well, I don't like spraying yeah. chemicals anyway, but, yeah. you know, it seems even worse to me to spray a chemical on something that I'm going to make my gin and tonic with or whatever. Um, uh, you know, if I want sprayed things, I can buy those from the greengrocer. Yeah. So I would prefer to just stay as natural and organic as possible. So I would just take them off, and it sounds like a leaf miner. Usually if a plant's in trouble, it shows up on the new growth. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. And so, yeah, I would probably at this time of the year give your lemon tree a bit of a feed would yep. be a good idea. Yep. Make sure that you keep the water level up to it because it's been a very dry February, funnily enough, mm-hmm. even though it's been cool. But it's been a very, very little rain right through February and we're yep. well under our normal February rain. Um, so make sure it's well watered, give it a good feed um, and then just nick off the worst bits. And if you haven't fed it for a while, give it a couple of watering cans full of liquid food yep. And, yep. Then, and then the solid food. Yeah, yeah. yeah that would be a good idea. Yeah. So I hope that helps. All right. Getting back, gentlemen, to some things that you might want to talk about because uh, I didn't bring many plants in because I'm concentrating on this damn panel in front of me. I bought in Salvia confertifolia, which is really one of my favourites. Mm-hmm. It's, it's from Argentina, and, and the flowers from a distance look more like a Veronica ah, yes. than a Salvia. It has these red spikes in autumn. And it's got a very pleasant, um, heavily veined foliage. So very nice quite, foliage, quite yeah. big leaves. And is it a reasonably compact growing cell? It's not huge. Mm. would get up to 1.5. Oh, that's Thereabouts, yeah. yeah. And doesn't spread anywhere. It's a nice salvia. Mm-hmm. Um, Fairly strong colour, isn't it? I remember it's, it's they used colour. it in yeah. the uh, cottage garden at Sittinghurst, yeah. one of the beds there. Yeah, it's, and it's, so it's a sunset colour. It is, yeah. yeah. Now, managing of it, uh, pruning? Cut it to the ground in the spring, yeah. which is pretty much what I do with salvias. Yeah, yeah I, I reserve all my pruning of salvias until the spring when they start growing. Yeah, yeah. yeah so um, just as they're starting to do their thing, you take their top off. Yep, that's right. Mm-hmm. And then I, you might, I might prune them again in December mm-hmm. and hold the flowering back until the autumn uh, yeah. for, for a more compact shrub. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing with salvias is that people don't prune them enough and they look awful. Yeah, they get very leggy. Very and, leggy. And you get a lot yeah. of dead yeah. stuff through them yeah. and all that sort of thing. And, so and you need to sift through them and, and not accept that every salvia is going to do well at your place. Yeah. So if they don't do well, chuck them out and try another one. Yeah, it's called a gap. It That's right. An opportunity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, well, we've got a call that's just come through, so we better take this one. Um, all right. Vic, are you there? Yeah, I am. Hey, Good. Hey. All right. So, uh, Vic's from Maribyrnong, and what did you want to have a chat to us about? Oh, Steve, you know when the lemons hit the ground, mm. they're lying there for a while, mm. then they start to develop a white and a green fungus. Yeah, they're starting to rot, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, what is that stuff, and how dangerous is it? Well, it's not dangerous. I mean, it's just a fungus that is taking up a habitat that is there for it. I mean, if I throw um, things like that in the compost, they very quickly develop all sorts of fungal things on them, and it's just a rotting down process, so it's not, no. it's not harmful. I mean, I wouldn't eat the lemons, because the lemon itself is probably rancid by that stage. But it would taste rather than hurt you. Yeah. Tastes yeah, it, bad. Yeah, yeah. It tastes dreadful. I certainly wouldn't use it in my gin and tonic. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you can pick them up and throw them in the compost heap and all that sort of stuff. If you get the fungal spores on your hands, I don't think it's going to do you any real problem. But I think... Dealing with any fungus in the garden, you need to take just 
a little bit of a precaution. I'd always wash my hands afterwards and, and that sort of thing, uh, but they're not particularly dangerous. Oh, well, I've heard that that stuff, if you breathe that spore in, it'll give you lung cancer. Yeah, I, I would be very surprised if you got lung cancer from that. You're probably more likely to get lung cancer from the fumes from your car. Passing traffic, that's yes, right. Yes, so, <laughs> yeah. so uh, and, and I, I have this sense that if we worry about every possible thing out there, we wouldn't leave the house. So. I think fungus are, on the whole are being encouraged, aren't they? Oh, yeah, most yeah. fungi are good. Yeah, yeah I th- they're just starting to come to grips with fungus, aren't they? And, yeah. and then Really, they, they, they kind of dominate everything. That's right, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, there's just many, many, many more species than we think. One of them and is And 95% are beneficial. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's, yeah, so you know, you, it's a few you, of them are nasty, yeah. but, uh, but, but not really uh, that that's, many. that's unusual. Yeah. Yeah. And look, some of them are poisonous, so I definitely wouldn't go out and collect toadstool-type fungi unless I knew exactly what I was collecting. Yeah. Um, and there's only two or three that I would pick and eat, um, including the pine mushrooms, because yeah. they're really easy to tell apart from others. Uh, but even field mushrooms, there's look-alike ones you've got to be a little careful with. But these sort of mouldy-type fungi that you get on, on rotting fruit and things, uh, they're just there to rot down the fruit all the faster and turn it back into nutrients to go back in the ground. That's, That's their right. job. Yeah. So there you go, Vic. I hope we've allayed some of your possible problems. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you very much for that. That's a pleasure. We'll catch up with you again sometime. Okay, right. thank you. Bye. All right. Uh, what am I doing? Uh, here we go. We've got another call coming through, and this should be Ron from Templestowe. How are you, Ron? Hi. Yeah, good. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, That's good. Thanks for accepting my call at my stage. <laughs> yes, uh, well, we are running towards the uh, close-off time, but we've got plenty of time to answer your question, I'm sure. Right. Uh, I think it's a quick one. It's about a um, marsh variety grapefruit tree. Mm. Uh, it was in a pot when I was I was given it, and it was rather neglected. Yeah. Uh, it, had, it should have been repotted into a larger pot, if I guess, but it wasn't. I, I have done that myself mm-hmm. uh, about six weeks ago. And I'm... Uh, recently, it's come out in com- uh, a lot of flowers. Nearly yeah. every of the few branches there are has got flowers on it. And I'm thinking that seeing it still going through the recovery stage, would it be best for me to either remove some or all of those flowers? I would. Go? I would. Um, I think the tree has been a little bit shocked by the repot and it's thought, ooh, Time might be up, so I better flower, produce seed yeah. to procreate so that I've got my youngsters to take over if I cark it. Um, and so it will yeah. put stress on the tree. So, yes, I'd go through and, and clean out all the flowers, to be honest, if it's yeah. just been potted on. Yeah, yeah. it's a reaction yeah. to stress. Mm. Yes, there's, no, there's not many leaves at all that started. Might be a couple of very minor ones, but mm. that, that was my thinking too. That now, have you I've fed got, your uh, grapefruit? Uh, yes, I, I uh, only with... Uh, um, when I repotted, I used a, uh, I uh, reinforced what soil was of the root ball there yeah. with uh, a good potty mix yeah, good. and also some um, slow-release fertiliser yeah. around the, right. the well, mix down. I'd probably the give them a little liquid feed as well because right. if the plant's been struggling, I think a liquid feed will go into the plant quite quickly as, as opposed to the slow-release fertilisers, which go over quite a period. So you can use one of the proprietary brand things like Power Feed or one of those sorts of things. Yep. Uh, but I any sort of liquid feed, and I, I'd give it a good dose of that at this point. After I remove the flowers? Yes. And how, how far down do you cut them? Back to where, um, like, they're all on the ends of the 
uh, the few branches there are, about five, mm. they're all on the very ends of the branches where yep. they, I was expecting the new growth. Yeah, I would just um, snip them off just below where the flowers are. Right, where the flowers are. I mm-hmm. see. And I don't know whether you know, anyone there knows this grape, but it's called a marsh, and I've never seen a leaf like it before. It seems to have a two-part leaf. Yeah, it's, a it's a little leaf first, and then it branches out into a larger leaf. Yeah, that's, that yeah, that's the same sort of thing if you're growing a kaffir lime. The kaffir lime has sort of a two-segmented leaf, mm-hmm. so there's quite a number of citrus that do that. I see, right, okay. And it's got on the, the name on the card that I was with it, Citrus by Paradisi. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? By? It's, that's who's grown it. That's the company. Yeah, I, it's, it's grapefruit marsh, then underneath in, as where you normally see the, like, a, whether it's a hybrid or whatever, mm. it's citrus, and then a modification sign, oh. a phi, mm. and then paradisi, C-I-S-I. Yeah, well, that, that's, that's just the, that's that's the nursery. nursery. Yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah. the nursery. All right, we better go, Ron, but thank you for, okay. for ringing in. Good right. luck with okay. you, Trey. Okay. Yeah. Well, Bye. Oops, I think I cut Ron off just when he was going to say something else. But we are starting to run out of time, so we do need to consider this. Um, and I have to think about what I'm doing again with this uh, equipment in front of me. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm being given support from behind, which is lovely. Um, I need to obviously thank people. So thank you, gentlemen, for coming in today, Craig and Jeremy, both from up in the Dandenong, so Cloud Hill um, Gardens and Gentiana Nursery. Uh, thank you to the guys off air that have been making sure that I get all the phone calls through and the text messages as well. Um, so we've still got a couple of minutes, actually. We're not quite ready to go out. We've got two minutes to go. But um, all right. I think we will, in fact, um, finish up for today. Uh, don't forget to join us next week at 7.30 with uh, Virginia Haywood. And uh, thank you for joining us this week, and we'll catch up with you again in due course. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.